You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. All right. Good evening. So glad to be here. Hope you are too. Yes, yes. Um, I was telling someone last week that it's great to be together. I super appreciate the time. You know, I know people working and school and home life and everything else, just making their way over here to the senior center. And, uh, and yet, I feel like we're a little crunched. Do you, you that, is it just me? A little bit. Because I've got like 36 hours of material that, literally, it's 36 hours of material that we have four hours collectively, you know, over the four weeks to do. So there's a lot of overview and a lot of summary going on. Uh, but I, I really do believe that the essence, of, the essence of what I wanted to get across is getting across. I can tell that by the comments that you're making, the questions that are being raised, the statements that are made, that, uh, that God is really working. Yeah. And I, I want to share just a couple thoughts that really weren't in my notes, but I thought they would be helpful for kind of setting us up for today. Uh, one is, we all know about Job, right? And his three friends. You know, at the very end of that whole encounter... God kind of chastised Job's friends. And of all the things that God could have said, now remember, we're not here to get burned and convicted and guilted out, right? So from the beginning, you know, you know, the goal is that your hearts would live. That's, that's my goal. And everything I say is that your hearts would live. And God told the, uh, Job's friends, He says, you know what? I'm not pleased with you because you have not spoken accurately about me. Now go to Job, he'll pray for you and you'll be forgiven and everything will be fine. And when I first came across that many, many years ago, it stood out to me that God was very interested in what people said about him and his character and what he was like. So much so that he rebuked, you know, Job's friends for not speaking accurately of him. Uh, you need to think, think of something that Jesus said in, in the Gospels. He says, make a tree good and what will happen? The fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and the fruit will be bad. Ever thought about the fact that Jesus was saying that his goal is to make us good? He said, now we're not going to make the tree. He's making the tree. But he says, make a tree good, and the fruit will be good. And that, that can really fly in the face of a lot of what we've thought about where our hearts could be over the years and decades. Anyone ever, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago thought, yeah, I can get to a point where my heart is good. That, that would almost be like disfellowshipment type statements. Like you are really lost in, on the weak and struggling list if you think your heart is good. Yeah, you know. And, and so it's a huge biblical paradigm shift. Jesus is the one who said, make a tree good. As a matter of fact... He also said that he wanted us to not just do things outwardly, the right thing with a wrong heart. He described that as cleaning the outside of the cup. So his expectation was through engagement with him, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they could transform our hearts and make us good trees. They could clean the inside of the cup. And from the fruit of our lips, we would speak the praises of God from our heart. Okay? So I'm already, we're, we're kidding, I'm, I'm eating against my own time. But I wanted to give us that framework because I think sometimes 
rightly so, we can wrestle with the very idea of not being guilty in our heart. We can wrestle with the idea of, you know, if I went up to Todd and say, Todd, how are you doing spiritually? Mm. You know, he would start to tell me how he's doing spiritually. But, but if I said, so Todd, how are you really right, doing spiritually? Right. That's what I'm waiting for. That's code for what? That's code for cough up all the wrong, evil, nasty stuff in your life because that's really how you're doing. But could you imagine someone in the fellowship saying, Sarah, Mary, Bill, how you doing? The Lord loved me so much. It's really, it's really changing my heart. I can't, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by his goodness. Let me tell you, just this past week, this past month, the last 10 years, all the goodness of God, that is what will transform us. Okay. Am I the only one hearing feedback? If so, I'll just, so, so should I lift my left? What, what, do, what do we do with this? Okay. Step back. I'm okay. Okay. So onto the diagram here. What this represents are varying views of God from the bottom right, despising, which is a super low energy, non-productive. Uh, that's like when you step on a gum wrapper and you see it and you shake your foot and you move on and never again in your life do you give any thought to that gum wrapper. That's what it means to despise something, to give it no value at all. And sometimes people feel that way, that God feels that way about them. That he just, they're not even on his radar. He cares nothing at all. Then you can move up vindictive, condemning, on up the line until we get into the more positive and, and closer to accurate views of God where he's permitting or enabling. And enabling, we don't mean that in a codependent kind of manner. We mean that in an empowerment manner. Inspiring, merciful, wise, and loving. And so what we find is that we all get on this path towards nearness to God from some point in our lives, right? From our family of origin, from our culture, from how we were raised in school, uh, in church, wherever uh, the major institutions in our life, we have some thought about God and the role of the Holy Spirit is to correct that in part. Okay. Can anybody relate to having views of God ever in your life that are less than just loving? Okay, yeah, we can relate to that. Um, so this, we're going to break this down a little bit and then have some exercises that will help you see the value of this in even greater ways. Okay, there we go. So our journey with the Holy Spirit, the obstacles are distorted images of God. If you've ever thought, God's not happy with me because I didn't have a visitor last week, you have a distorted image of God. If you've ever thought, wow, no one's been baptized in the last year that I actually met, God's not happy with me, you have a distorted image of God. Um, and, and the list goes on and on. There's a lot of different ways that we can think that God's not happy with us um, for reasons that are not legit. So what the Holy Spirit is going to do, He's going to take these distorted images of God and work with us to correct them. And then he's also going to take uh, the ignorance we have of our true identity in Christ. And then he's going to reveal to us our true recreated identity in Christ. Okay? Because at the end of the day, what is our identity? Are we enemies of God? Yeah. Our, our, the, the word that truly gets to our identity is not that we're, we're not enemies. We're not slaves. We're not servants. We're beyond friends. 
we're sons and daughters. We are the cherished children of God. And if you have children or little brothers and sisters, you know how you think about them. Multiply it by a million. And that's God's heart towards us. Okay. But the question is, I think for some of us is, is that cheap grace? Is that weak? Is that just a license to sin? And no one will do anything if we don't really kind of hem them in and rein them in. Anybody ever have that kind of thought? Yeah. yeah. I can tell you from my own life, I have been more evangelistic, though that's not my measure. I have been more hospitable, though that's not my measure. I have been more open with God than ever than under any type of over under hierarchy, accountability, got to turn in something next week. It's just when your heart is free and you love, you're looking for ways to express that. You're not looking for ways to check off a list and now I'm done. Okay? So it, it, we could spend two hours just on that, but we won't. Okay. Here we go. So the foundation of transformation. Tonight, hopefully we will change our ideas about change. Because we, we probably have some thoughts about what really brings about transformation in a person's life. Well, we know the word is powerful. So if we get them to read the word, it will transform them. And to a degree, it does. But depending on how they read it determines the degree to which it transforms them. We may think, well, they need to be involved in church activities and they need to serve. And yet the Barney study of 500,000 Christians determined that being more involved in ministry and serving in more groups had no bearing on your ultimate spirituality and closeness to Jesus. And people have been doing this for decades, thinking that's, that's what we need to get the young people involved. The bottom line is transformation of the heart doesn't happen by the things we do. Transformation of the heart happens by the things that God does to us and in us and through us. Okay, so is that a reason not to do anything? No, we just do them with a different reason. And we have the right expectation of what we're trying to accomplish. Okay? So, one of my favorite all-time passages now, Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance, and some, some versions say in return. That's kind of their translation of the word repentance. It means return your attention and your affection to God. The assumption is you're going to get distracted. So, return, return. In repentance and rest is your salvation. That sounds good right there, doesn't it? In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Ooh, that's a, that's not a good ending of that verse, is it? But I, I like the, the prior part of it. We don't want to be the, the latter. We want to be the prior. In repentance and rest is your salvation. That's where the wholeness of God starts to get applied to your life. And transformation takes place in quietness. And it's not in revving up and firing up and cranking. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? We've got to go, like the Lord, we've got to go away to a quiet, solitary place. Be in the presence of God. 
bring our whole self, every sensation, every thought, every emotion, uh, every connection, bring that whole thing to God and know, as we read last week in Psalm 139, being fully known, we are still fully loved. And just do some soaking. And trusting. And believing. And God will prove himself faithful. Okay, so. God says in repentance and in trust and quietness and in rest, that's our salvation, that's our strength. We know that how we view God has a lot to do with whether or not we will come to him on a regular basis. Whether we will stay near him, be intimate. If we think at all anything that brings about fear or shame or guilt, we're just not going to stay close. That's just not our nature. And part of that is this is how our life unfolds. Let me explain this to you. We've got our God view, and I actually did this presentation, a modified version, for the Project Management Institute of the Los Angeles chapter. They loved it so much, they asked me to do a second version of it. And these, this is not a Christian group at all. It's so resonated in their heart. So whether it's God view or ultimate reality or your world view, it's what you think ultimately is how life is or, or how the world works. That determines your life view. And from your life view comes what you habitually do, your habit of being. And out of that flows your dominant emotion. You feel a certain way, and that's why you habitually act and conduct yourself in a certain manner. And it also leads to your process of life. As life's um, situations encounter you, you're going to process them a certain way based on your dominant emotion, your habit of being, your life view, and your God view. So let's just break these down briefly so we can have a working framework here. Okay, have I lost anybody yet? No. Okay, what a sharp group. I like this. Okay, so... Our God view. So of the many different ways that we can express our God view, one of the most revealing I found is to ask myself in this moment right now, what time is it? It is 7.30, what is that? 7.57? This moment right now, how does God feel about you? Given what transpired today, this week, this month, this exact moment, how, what is God's sentiment and thoughts toward you? Because I found I, I had been religious for a while. You know, I was baptized 36 years ago. So I knew what to say about how God felt about me or, or what I felt about God, my God view. But when I switched it and said, well, Byron, what do you think God feels about you right now? Then, it was, oh, well, he probably feels like I ought to and I should and not so much and maybe more. And I thought, ah, see, now I caught myself. Because I'm thinking I've got to do something to court God's love and approval. And what is that diminishing? The accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus said, it's finished. All the work's been done for God's love to be poured out to you, on you, through you, and in your heart. And the minute I start thinking I've got to do something to get God to feel better about me, to love me and accept me, now now I'm out of grace. Now I'm into works. Now I'm in the law. And now I'm slipping into darkness. Now I'm not saying I'm lost and you got to get rebaptized. You got to come up before. I'm just saying you're not walking in the light. 
okay? Sometimes you got to know who you're talking to, right? <laughs> i got to talk to the leaders now. God view. Life view. This can be described by just completing the, sent- the sentence stem. Life is, and how would some people complete? Life is what? Life is beautiful. Life is hard. Life is a bowl of cherries. Life is a box of chocolates. You know, life is challenging, you know, or it's a dog-eat-dog world. Ever heard that one? You know, and so our, our God view, our sense of ultimate reality, what God is like and His sovereignty and His nature and His care and His attention and His intentions towards us has everything to do with how we think about life. Right? Because if, if God is just indifferent towards me, then I better pull myself up by the old bootstraps, the old college try, and make it happen because the Calvary ain't coming. It completely dictates how we go about our life. I think some common thoughts about our life view also go something like this. Have you ever had this thought? Um, life should be fair. I need everyone's love and approval to be okay. You're only as good as you perform. If you don't measure up, then you're no good. If marriage takes a lot of work, it must mean I married the wrong person. Depression is a sign of weak faith. That could be a lot of other factors. It doesn't necessarily mean you're not walking with God. If I'm doing my best, then God should protect me from pain and suffering. You know, when you're, when you're young and everybody's, you know, dating and getting married and having kids and everything is moving forward, we can think that way and then it doesn't happen to us or something tracks And we think, well, I was doing everything I was told to do. Why is this tragic thing happening to me? Uh, God will help you, but he won't help me. And if I make mistakes, then I'm worthy of being rejected. These are all life views that come out of a distorted view of God. Okay? Then a habit of being. You just got to think of it this way. If you ask, what is John like? What is Bill like? What is Sarah like? And that description is kind of their habit of being. Oh, they're hilarious. Oh, they're intense. Or they, they are, you know, kind of shady. That's just your happy, habit of being. It doesn't mean that you're that way 100% of the time, but that's the habit. That's, that's what you're kind of known for, even recognized from a distance. And you can just imagine your life view is going to absolutely dictate your habit of being, right? Because if you're on your own, or if you think God is vindictive and coming after you, waiting for the shoe to drop, then you're going to be protective and closed off and always suspicious that this is one of those circumstances where God is going to get you. Right? Dominate emotion. This is the emotion that is most prevalent throughout your day. Now, we have a variety of emotions, right? We may, you know, guys, there are more than three emotions. But, you know, you, some people have like six emotions simultaneously. Um, but there is a dominant emotion that kind of you kind of come back to and that you spend most time in throughout the day. And that dominant emotion goes right back to your view of God, right? If God is loving and for you and has gone before you to prepare the way and set up victories, oh, you're just skipping through the forest, right? But if God despises you, you're not even on his radar. Man, that just takes the wind out of your sails, takes the breath out of your lungs. Why even try? 
And, you know, when you think about it, your God view answers a lot of things about how our lives have proceeded so far. Process of life. I think I described that earlier, just as life's events encounter you, whether they are an opportunity or a demand or a threat is largely going to be processed based on how you view God, how you view life, your dominant emotion, your habit of being. It all comes out there. So isn't it amazing how one person can go into the day and they see a world of opportunity and they just move and act and try and another person sees calamity and danger and they do nothing. And the person who actually engages and tries because they are doing something can get a result. And the person who doesn't is not going to get a result if they don't do anything. It all flows together. Okay, now, can you see that in the back? Back row, you guys are good. Yeah. If I took off my glasses, I couldn't even see you in the back. But, so if we look across the top, our God view, life view, habit of being, dominant emotion, and process of life, a lot of times you say, well, what's my God view? We get confused about what we know we should think of God versus how we really feel in our heart of hearts. So a good thing to do is you go over to either the dominant emotion column and you read down and you say, which one of those kind of describes me in a basic characteristic way? Or habit of being, maybe that column. And you, you get, let's say you get down to anger. I know that doesn't apply to anybody here. But let's say your habit of being is you're just angry all the time. Okay, then, then you move over to the left and you say, oh, then maybe that's because my God view is vengeful. And that's why life is kind of antagonistic. It's always competitive. And, you know, I got to get them before they get me. That's where anger and hate and aggression kind of proceed from that view of God. Does that make sense to you? If you notice, you go all the way up from despising to indifferent. Those are all kind of negative. Start low energy. They get more energetic even though they're negative. But it's not until you get to permitting that you start to really turn the corner and see some truths about God that start to transform and inspire and invigorate your life. Okay? So here's where the workshop portion kicks in. So you are going to kind of circle up with two or three individuals. We're going to take 10 minutes, and you're going to look at either the habit of being column or the dominant emotion column, whatever works for you, and trace it back to the left and have just some brief discussion in, for the moment, where, do your, where does your God view tend to land most often that you can recognize? Now, given in, in a five-minute time, it may go all up and down the range. Okay, so don't, don't get nervous. As, well, sometimes this just, just pick one that you can identify and have a little discussion about, and, uh, and then we will have some discussion about our discussion and move into some more meaty territory. Okay, any questions about what you're going to do? You're going to get groups three or four, go to either habit of being or dominant emotion, find yourself there, move over to the left to the God view, and just talk about where, at first glance, some of your dominant God views may, may tend to be. All right, ready? Break. Mm-hmm. 
see that power versus force? That's from a book by Dr. Stephen Hawkins. That was the name of the book, Power Versus Force. What's he, what is he, I've seen that. He is sociology, anthropology, uh, some science. Um, it's, it's more like measuring energy levels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and, and collective consciousness. Yeah, all right. Yeah, does that sound right. familiar? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, this is great for us. Yeah. Um, I came across this in a quiet time you're gonna get so 15 years ago. You blew my socks off. So I'm preaching on Sunday. I already, I've already made that a slide. Can I get the slide? Sure. Yeah. 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 That into, uh, okay, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I looked for him. I didn't see him up front here. So I don't know if he's taking care of something else. I'm getting nothing but warm, loving, we're in this thing together, it's so good to see you vibes. I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing any. No. And then this is the group that Steve Staten did two years ago. Mm -hmm. And he measures, he measures what he does by, at the end of the process, there's X amount of um, resolution talks. Okay. Oh, part of his conflict resolution stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he said we were the only one he's ever done with which he recorded zero resolution. <laughs> 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 we're number one. <laughs> but these people now really love each other. So this is just great. Ken, Ken, you, is Mark here tonight? Yeah. Okay. If, uh, if Ken's gone, yeah. is it, can you get maybe you and Mark, uh, John, or one of the other kind of well-established older brother leaders yeah. to just each do a brief prayer? Yeah. Afterwards. I think that's, that's going to be a great wrap up. See, Javon's not here tonight, so I'll have, um, I know Chris is here. Chris is here. Um, I didn't see Daniel. I didn't see Daniel. I didn't see Robert. I'll grab him. Okay. I'll grab him. I think that's that a nice yeah. gesture. Yeah. That is a good gesture. Thank
Let's just take one more minute and wrap things up. One more minute. <coughs> How are you? I wanted to text you the other day, but I don't have your phone number. Oh, okay. Can I get it real quick? Sure. 626. Three seven six. Three seven six. Eight three two two. Awesome. Great. Okay, if we go ahead and turn our attention back towards the front here. I know 10 minutes goes fast, doesn't it? When you're talking about your walk with God. Okay, just for our times, we can uh, turn our attention this way. And from any of the groups, anybody want to share something that they discovered or where they, where they landed and why they felt like they landed in that spot? Yes, over here. Can can you stand? Thank you for sharing that. That was personal and right on point. Yeah. 
Others, who else kind of saw themselves in a spot that they want to share about? I got 30 minutes, so I'm good. Oh, over here, yes. Excellent, excellent. There's maybe one other. Over here, you guys did it too, right? Some brave soul. Yes. Um, so I also did um, anxiety, but uh, on the positive, I also did optimism. Um, Good. The reason why I did optimism was because I, I went through uh, the habit of being as well, and I thought willingness kind of correlated with and it just everything just makes so much sense. Like even me moving to this state was okay. me being willing. And uh, okay, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of good in willingness more than than we might know just off the the surface of things. So I, I know ten minutes is not a lot to kind of summarize where you think you are with God. But it's a great exercise to begin the process, to begin the dialogue, to begin the discussion, if it's just with yourself, of realizing that we have a life view and we have a dominant emotion and a habit of being, uh, that, but we're not stuck there. This is not a genetic thing. This is not something that we're just predispositioned to. God can work through us and work in us to help us to know at the deepest levels his love and that will change our life view and how our life unfolds. Make sense? Okay. So as you might imagine, you won't be surprised by the next slide and that is our faith, our God view filters our world. So if you can imagine any number of things, you could say on the left side, all those dots represent promises of God. But if we have a God view that's off, we see him as punitive or vindictive or despising. We're only going to recognize so many of his promises. Let's say on the left, all those dots represented blessings that were all around us. They're around our home. They're around our neighborhood. They're around our job. They're around our family. And we keep praying for things that are already there. But because of our faith, we can't see them. We don't recognize them. You know, I love the Old Testament account where, you know, uh, one of the patriarchs is out in the desert and he lays down and he has a dream and realizes he sees the angels of God ascending and descending right from that very spot. And he goes, wow, I didn't realize this is the very gates of heaven and I wasn't aware. Say how true that is of us, that we had prayed for things 10 years ago and they're right in front of us. But because of our God view and our life view, they're kept from us. We, we just can't see them. And so we're wondering, why isn't God faithful? And God's like, it's right there. 
God, when are you going to come through? He's right there. It's right there. So I love the admonition from the Lord, you know, and, and Mark. Pray believing that you've received already what you pray for and it will be yours. I think that's, that's a statement of faith that says, I know my God is true to all his promises. And I'm going to pray it's already there because God has loved me from the foundations of the earth. He's gone before me and prepositioned blessings knowing that I would be coming in this direction. It's already there. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to ask and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time thanking God and praising him for his faithfulness until I recognize it, embrace it and receive it. That's a better way of living than just trying to beat God up and convince him to be good and do something nice for you. Okay. Okay. So one of our next exercises is going to be turning the tables on what we just did. And that is now we're going to get into a quiet place, even in this room. And we're going to ask God to speak into our lives about what he wants us to know about our relationship with him. So we're not, we're, we're not going analytical. We're not looking at a chart. We're not going to be problem solving anything. We're going to be relational. And we're going to go to God and just ask God that basic question. But I, I want to share with you the kind of things that can happen when you do this. I did this one Sunday morning a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, Lori and I uh, host a, a, com- a full meal communion service in our home on Sunday afternoons. And, you know, she, she does like, like a Thanksgiving dinner weekly. Uh, and then we've got the chairs out and, and people coming over. We never know if it's going to be six or 20. So we just prepare for whatever we can. And one particular morning on a Sunday, I was sitting there and I was engaging with God and I wanted to ask him a life question. So I'm just going to read what I wrote. It's called One Sunday Morning in June. So I'm sitting there living room. How can I not be anxious and stay relational all day? Not problem solve and and having everything ready at 3 p.m. That's when our service is. Not be in performance mode where I'm driven by people's responses to the house, the food, the communion thoughts. How can I just be myself? Can God use the most genuine things about me to influence people in the group for the Lord, just as I am? His response was, I have formed every aspect of your being for the display of my splendor. Every hair that remains every mole and freckle. I have carved every line in your face. I made your eyes and delight to see the years they reveal. Every bit of stubble and coloration is my design. Even your hairline and the fullness of your face I will use for the display of my splendor. So let your light shine. Be fully present and out front. Give each person your unrivaled attention and the warmth of a smile and full affection. Embrace with tenderness, touch with care. Share with unbridled enthusiasm whatever geeky, nerdy, intellectual interests, passions, convictions you may have, including your conspiracy theories. (laughs) 
If there is something you want them to know, tell them. If something you want to teach, teach it. If a point to make, make it. Be fully on display. You are my craftsmanship. You reflect my glory. Delight in it and take pleasure in the work of my hands. Tell the people what happened here one Sunday morning in June. I am the Lord. I just so ministered to my heart. I mean, I sat, we had this big chair, and I, I smiled, I laughed, I cried. I smiled, I cried, I laughed. I giggled. I put my hands over my face like I was a blushing 13-year-old or something. It was just, it was overwhelming. The impression that God laid on my heart that just as I am, every aspect made by him, designed by him for the display of his glory. I shouldn't want to be like anybody else, look like anybody else, look like I used to look, look like I want to look. Yeah, yeah, brother. You got to see this. And if you know, I'm for being on this earth as long as I have and in the places of the world that I've been, then you would know the work of God for me to stand here and say, you got to see this. This is not how the world raises its people. This is how God raises his children. He delights in us. He treasures us. So when we go to God, there's nothing to fear unless you don't want to laugh and you don't want to blush and you don't want to be slightly embarrassed by the profusion of his love and his commentary on his craftsmanship, which is you. So what we'll do is we'll put a couple things into practice. Instead of being in a group this time, you can just sit where you are, and you want to call to mind one of your appreciation moments. Okay? Whether it's, you know, my three-year-old birthday Mickey Mouse outfit that my grandmother gave me, or seeing Blake run that event against Monrovia several years ago, or, you know, Lori surprising me with a uh, birthday gift years ago, taking me to New Orleans. Whatever your appreciation moment is, call it to mind and let it remind you of God's goodness, because every good and, and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. And in that quietness, And in that appreciation, just be still and ask God, what would you have me know about our relationship? And don't worry about who's on the left or who's on the right. Just be still for a moment and let God speak into your heart. Now, if you go for a minute and you're like, I'm I'm getting nothing. Okay? Just ask him a question. Do you want me to know about your love? Do you want me to be rid of this guilt? Um, is, there, is there something that uh, is right in front of me that you want me to be aware of? So it, it's not just sitting silently waiting for a voice from heaven. That's not what we're talking We're talking about an impression, a word. He might put a scripture on your mind. He may put a thought in your mind. He may give you an, an image of a person. Um, and if you're not sure about what it is, just ask him. God, what do you want me to know about this impression? What do you want me to know about this song? 
that make sense? Okay, so let's take another few minutes and just have some quiet time with the Lord. Okay, that's our time for the meditation. I hope that was helpful for you. Uh, kind of, again, a lot of these are just kind of starters of things that you could do in your own life that could become a rhythm of your own walk with God. Uh, how many had an, an easy time pulling out like an appreciation moment to get you started? Okay, that's good. Okay. Uh, felt comfortable asking God how he felt about the relationship? Anybody surprised by what impressions came to your heart? Okay. A couple. Great. Uh, We're going to transition into talking about um, our our views of God, our time with God, and our meditation with God. Because they really are tied together. And I'm just going to read, I'm going to tell you about one character. This is like James and John. uh, A moment in their life where... I don't think this was characteristic of their whole lives, but where Jesus, you know, kind of saw vindictiveness in them when they wanted to uh, bring down fire on Samaria. Uh, and he said, you know, you don't know what spirit you're of. So in that moment, they were thinking their God view was God was vindictive. You know, the world was just this evil place that was always trying to thwart the will of God. And, uh, you know, it really called for destruction in order for God to be honored. And uh, these people were guilty of, of not honoring that they didn't let the Lord through the way, as the way they should have, and uh, they were to blame. So there's just this, this, this cascading effect of all this stuff that flows from your life when you have, in the moment, a view of God that's something less than accurate. Okay? And I want to read an excerpt from Nehemiah on the more positive note. Okay? So Nehemiah, and if you have your, your book with you, it, we're going to be on page 93. Actually, I'll begin at verse 90, uh, page 94. It says, when, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not yet set the doors and the gates, Sanballat, Geshem, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aide with me, uh, to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and and even have prophets appointed to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. 
I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you were saying is happening. You're just talk, you're just making up out of your head. They were trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. That's out of Nehemiah 6 verses 1 through 9. Nehemiah makes it easy for us. It's clear from his prayer, now strengthen my hands. Then Nehemiah views God as one who will enable him to take care of the needs and the demands that come his way. Despite how often Sanballat hurls his threats and twists the facts, Nehemiah remains unfazed by it all. There's a calmness with Nehemiah that I believe comes from his deep satisfaction with what God has revealed of himself and how faithful he has been to all of his promises. Life is not frustrating when you have the ability to meet its demands. For example, if you have a taste for a burger and you reach into your pocket and find a $20 bill, there's no frustration. There's no angst. You're pretty satisfied. You want a burger, and we have the means to purchase a burger. All is good. If, however, we want a burger, reach into our pocket and find 35 cents, we may, have, we may experience a different set of emotions. Our level of satisfaction in life is tied to our deep sense of being able to meet its demands. Nehemiah does not complain that he shouldn't be in this situation. He does not go on and on about how things should be or could be. He has accepted the situation for what it is and prayed to his God to make a difference. Though the odds seem stacked against him, Nehemiah is a model of trust. He neither runs nor wallows in self-pity nor charges God with neglect in the face of Sanballat's repeated assaults. Nehemiah doesn't frantically scurry to make things happen. Like David recorded in the Psalms, Nehemiah has learned to still and quiet his soul like a weaned child with its mother. He has released any preconditions he had on how life will be or how God must act. He is not tied to a particular outcome. Of profound significance is the, con- the, content, uh, or the content of Nehemiah's prayer. He prays to his God, now strengthen my hands. Rather than pray that God changes the reality before him, Nehemiah prayed to be enabled, to be strengthened, to successfully handle the reality of his life. Nehemiah is a great example to us of what it means to lean in rather than resist or avoid. We often expend precious energy and indulge corrosive emotions, wishing and hoping that reality were something other than it is. Acceptance is a powerful act. Acceptance is what enables us to live in the moment. I'm reminded of the quote, It is not for us to know what lies dimly in the future, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Thomas Carlyle. Nehemiah prayed for the strength to deal with what was clearly at hand. There's no discussion. Why are there sand ballots in the world? <laughs> Nehemiah does not appear to be consumed with getting sand ballots to see things from his perspective. And that's what we mean by the habit of being in neutrality. Nehemiah does not need to polarize things. Life can go on quite satisfactorily without sand ballot ever agreeing with Nehemiah or coming to Nehemiah's view on things. Though this is beyond the scope of this book, This truth has profound implications for our relationships, whether they're friendships, marriages, parent, child, employer, employee. There is a rich quality of life awaiting those who can maintain their neutrality and not always have to convince others or give up on their own values under the pressure of others. Neutral people are safe to be around. Is there any wonder why Nehemiah was able to garner such widespread support from among the people? 
Because of Nehemiah's contentment and neutrality, people felt safe to be themselves around him. They were even inspired to be the best version of themselves. They completed the construction of the wall in just 52 days. Accepting the enabling attributes of God at a heart level is a real game changer. So that's just one of the views of God that we take a Bible character and flesh out how they viewed God and how their life unfolded in that moment. How about it? Nehemiah has really become a hero of mine in, in so many ways. I hope he's a hero of yours also. So in the few minutes that we have left, I can't believe we only have one more week after this. I wanted to open it up for any thoughts, questions, impressions um, before we set ourselves up for next week and the cycle that we will go through to get back close to God when we find ourselves drifting out of grace. Impressions from the evening? Not everybody at once. Okay. Well, I get it. I mean, I, I think we, we can all fail to be in the moment trying to control the situation and avoid pain and difficulty as opposed to acceptance and asking God to enable us to be at peace and have His joy throughout reality as opposed to trying to skirt reality. Okay? Uh, yes? All right. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you saying that because there's something about neutrality that allows us to have love-bonded relationships instead of fear-bonded relationships. And if you're always with someone who isn't content with where you stand and they're always trying to get you to be different than you are, then you're dealing in a fear-bonded relationship. Now, if this person is glorious and they put their light on, on the stand and it gives light to the whole house, you can be inspired and you can go to God and come to different convictions yourself. But that's very different than being in the presence of someone who just won't let you be who God has made you to be. But that might be another five or six weeks. Okay. Okay. Kim? I love hearing that. That is so true. Amen. Okay, well, I'm going to... Oh, more hands. Yes, in the back. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's really great being with you guys. Well, I've stolen five minutes that wasn't mine. I apologize. I'll give it back. So I guess I'll turn it over to Todd here. Great. We'll see you guys next week. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.